0: Hello and welcome to Found, the podcast where we tell the stories behind the startups with the founders who created those businesses. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and I'm here with the DC to my marvel. Oh, I'm DC? Jordan Crowe. <laughs> I knew that one would, would stick here, even though you don't Upset really care me. about it.
1: <laughs> I don't care at all, but I know DC is <laughs> the underdog. I know it's the one everyone's like, let's go see marvel movies
0: exactly and that's why it works
1: yeah well that actually (laughs) is true so
0: so that is of course relevant to our topic today but before we get to that we just want to remind you to subscribe on whatever platform of choice that you use to listen to podcasts and then also write and review us there leave a scintillating review calling us geniuses, the storytellers of our age, all of which is true.
1: Or just like a pity one even. Like this is how we keep our jobs.
0: So just like like I feel bad for them and their cont- I really hope you guys keep your jobs. <laughs> yeah, I mean whatever. We'll take what we can get. And if we love your review, we may read it on air. So yeah, we'll be keeping an eye out for that. But back to our guest for today. So we're talking to Chris Giliberti who is the founder and CEO of Zess World, which is a comics creator-centric platform that connects the dots between digital publishing, collectibles, and events. Sounds like a lot, but it's actually pretty simple, I think. There's some uh. crypto in there, but it's just kind of tangential <laughs> crypto. Yeah, you'll, you'll hear more about it from Chris, but I love this one because I'm a huge comics nerd, and Jordan is was that? kind enough to <laughs> indulge me.
2: <laughs> Enjoy.
0: Hi, Chris, how's it going?
2: Good, how you doing?
0: Really good. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to have you on the podcast. And what we usually do here is just have the founder explain what their business is in case people haven't come across it. So can you tell us a bit about Zest World?
2: Sure. Yeah. So... Zestworld is a creator platform specifically for comic book writers and artists. So we're part of the bigger kind of creator economy movement of, you know, creatives building an independent business with their thousand most passionate fans. But we are specifically verticalized to the comic space. We have three main products that we offer to comic book creators. We have a publishing product where they could publish their comics directly to their fans and charge them a subscription price every month. Hmm. We have a commissions product, which is art sales. Little known fact, about 50% of a comic artist's income comes from selling sketch art in a given year. Those millions wow. of people that go to Comic-Con every year. That's what they're doing. They're you know waiting in line at their favorite creator's booth to get a custom sketch. We have a tool that helps creators manage that part of their business and actually deliver those commissions to their fans digitally. And then the final piece of our business is around IP rights and helping creators in this community monetize those IP rights for Hollywood.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. I think it's it's a really interesting business to get into, especially, I think it's been kind of a fixed industry. Like it seems like an industry with a lot of baggage. There's been a way of doing things and that hasn't changed much over the years. And I know. Geez, when I I'm a pretty big comics fan, as Jordan I think knows, but when I was like just getting into it early on, I think the stuff was like Deviant Art. Like most people were on Deviant Art, and like I think you could do sales through there, maybe for commissions. And still, even today, like a lot of people I follow on Instagram are just like go to my website, and maybe they have it run by Shopify or something. Or it's pretty hodgepodge. And then on the other side, like the licensing and rights, like it's the big studios are the elephants in the room and there's very little oxygen for anyone else. Could you tell me a bit about your inspiration for doing this from like the business side? Like, why did you see this problem
2: and think this needs addressing? Totally. Well, it dates all the way back to me being five years old. I <laughs> um, <laughs> g- kind of grew up as a... As not right a now. <laughs> just for listeners' clarity. He's not five currently. This is from I'm pretty sure
1: they can tell from his voice, dude. Oh my God.
2: I'd be I'd be like crushing that like fortune list if I were. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, no, I mean, grew up, you know, uh, a nerd in New Jersey, reading comics and playing video games, and took that interest with me through to college and graduated and then became a, a business nerd on that side of the entertainment industry. And worked in management consulting where I got to work with a lot of the brands I knew and loved growing up, but you know helping them with things like growth strategy and M&A and that sort of thing. You know When I was working at BCG as a management consultant, I met Matt Lieber, who went on to be the co-founder of Gimlet. Mm-hmm. And about six months into founding Gimlet, I actually sort of begged him to take me with him. <laughs> I was like, because what you're doing is so cool. And knew that I had such a love for you know the media and entertainment industries that I wanted to work in them as an operator. That was kind of the first big transition in my career, was jumping from the business side to the world of startups, or the corporate side, rather, to the world of startups. Right. It was the first business hire at Gimlet. And over the course of my six years there, I got to build up Gimlet Pictures, which was Gimlet Media's IP rights adaptation division. So for the uninitiated Gimlet was primarily a podcast studio, but in looking for other ways to monetize our library, we looked to TV and film and thought, you know, could we make use of these rights in, in those formats and build TV shows off of our podcast titles? And that was the part of the business that I started, headed up. And in forming Gimlet Pictures, I look to other exemplars in Hollywood, you know, who's taken a library of IP rights and grown it into a really exciting TV and film business. And of course, immediately the success of Marvel and DC come to right. mind and learned all about their businesses. And that was really my first exposure to the business side of comics was getting smart on Marvel and DC as businesses as I was building up Gimlet Pictures. And so When Spotify acquired Gimlet back in 2019, I wound up sticking around for a little bit, but I knew that I wanted to get back into the startup arena and try my hand at something for myself. And I kept coming back to this idea of doing something in the world of comics because I'm a huge lover of the medium and also was just so fascinated by what I learned building up the Gimlet Pictures business. You can kind of contrast the success of Marvel and DC in the world of movies and TV with the livelihood of the creators. Yeah. You know, it's it's just really kind of incredible when you learn that these like sort of Decacorn franchises were built by creators who were paid $50,000. Right. Right. It's very stark. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's the subject of, I think Stan Lee is the example a lot of people know just because a lot of the result of that was in media when he was going through various sort of like court proceedings. And then also, well, this is fictional, but Cavalier and Clay is like a great telling of kind of like a fictionalized version of the Superman origin story that involves a lot of those rights issues as well. But it's hard to think of another example in the entertainment industry where it's so dramatic, like how little the creators of a lot of these like mega popular franchises get of the overall pie or have traditionally gotten of the overall pie.
2: Well, I like to say that it's the biggest problem that the creator economy can solve by far. Right. And- comics are the foundation of the most franchise value in the entertainment industry, far and away, globally. So verticalizing a creator platform here makes a ton of sense, because there's a lot of value to tap with these artists across all formats, you know, publishing, art, and TV and film. So looking out into the creator economy, and sort of realizing that none of these big platforms, these sort of one size fits all platforms were servicing comic creators in a particularly compelling way Hmm. this was sort of the insight that the company was founded on is that comics are experiencing hockey stick growth in terms of audience in terms of franchise value and yet the creators just are not coming along with that growth
0: yeah and it's also because you mentioned like dc and marvel and it's easy to point at them and be like well that's I mean, that's a one in a billion shot. It's just not going to happen again. And I think I've heard that argument about kind of like independent creators before. Like, it's like, well, yeah, that happens sometimes. But most of the time, people launch a title, has a few, you know, issues, like a few months of run, and then it's done. And it doesn't really generate all that much value. But then, you now look at around and you see. Mega franchises built out of sort of like tangential properties too, right? Like, I mean, The Walking Dead is a great example. Invincible, also Kirkman, and then like The Boys. The Boys. Right the now. Boys is doing fantastic. Yeah.
2: And yeah. Absolutely.
0: There's obviously potential. People are hungry for it. People want it. So, yes, yeah, the time is right. And it's really cool that you're doing this. I mean, just personally, I'm jazzed about it. I don't know if Jordan is as excited. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Given her. Super <laughs> amp. <I>, he. <laughs> So, like, just so you know, Chris, like, w- when we do the podcast, Daryl's normally, like, very prepared and, like, understands who we're talking to and all of this stuff. And I come in a little bit off the cuff, like, oh, what's going on here? And you were like, oh, comic books. And I was like, Daryl <laughs> snuck one in. <laughs> I mean, me not again. that I'm not excited to talk to you, but, like, Daryl's Darryl, the, the comic book dude. I'm like, yeah. hate hate Marvel, Marvel movies and shit. That's, that's <laughs> kind of my shtick, but. But I'm still excited about the creator economy. So you yeah. have me there.
2: Well, right? and you should be really invested in us because independent comics are totally different than than Marvel yeah. comics. I mean, comics are a really big tent. I mean, there's so many different styles. And yeah, I mean, even look at The Walking Dead. I mean, there's a whole like culture of horror in comics and you know, just really Yeah. The that's landscape. True. Is I don't
1: like superheroes, but I do love stories. I'm a yeah. big fan of stories in general. I think Scott where Pilgrim? comic books,
0: I don't know if you're like, stop me
1: is the like, bam, kapow. Like I'm like. Oh, we could probably use some more words to describe what's going on.
0: Jordan, <laughs> sure, this—I don't want this to turn into—it could easily turn into a recommendations podcast where I'm just like, "There's so many." Titles, Here are all the but. ones that you should read. Yeah, why don't you yeah. send them to
1: me? Like, Don't even do make that. me do any work. Like, yeah. land them on my doorstep, and I'll. Oh, try the what books you think.
0: themselves. Yes, yeah, yeah, the what books I'll themselves. Do. I'll just yeah. have them shipped to you. Yeah, that's great. So, like, what has it been like for you in the early offing? Like, is there? Probably a lot of demand on the creator side, but what's been your learnings from it from the start or what are you seeing as like maybe surprise challenges or anything like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, so many, so many things, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think one learning has been around email. So we were founded as a newsletter forward subscription service and we're finding that sharing on newsletter is difficult. Like newsletter, it Mm. like sort of like it lands in your inbox and it's kind of a dead end. Right. So something that we're trying to do is figure out ways to increase engagement actually on the platform. I think newsletter works really great in some formats. And I think certainly building up an email newsletter list is something that every single creator should do. And mm-hmm. that's been a really powerful part of the value proposition for creators is not having their fan information disintermediated by a platform. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With usernames. But I do think that supplementing the email newsletter experience is something that we've been learning a lot about. We've been learning a lot about... Oh. Because our commission's product is actually an NFT product.
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay.
2: Yeah. So, you know, along with the rest of the world over the past year, we've been learning about Web3 and Mm -hmm. sort of acting as one of these platforms that is trying to. Bring an NFT platform, or rather bring an NFT project to the masses, you know, and serve not just kind of that small community of crypto natives, Mm -hmm. but actually deliver a product to comic fans that is NFT based, but, you know, abstracts away all the crypto friction. So lots of learnings there. Yeah, I can imagine. It's like really hard to
1: do, right? Like, especially like that feels somewhat like distraction is too hard of a word for it, right? But like you're focused on this thing, like this one central thing. And if you go and try to build the tools that remove the friction from like NFTs for the masses, that's like a really, that's a whole different business. Like that's a business on its own. So like, how do you, on the one hand, I think folks who are like, I'm learning about it. I understand it, but I'm not committing to it fully. It's not my business. Are going to be winners eventually as Web3 evolves because they struck the right balance, maybe. They might not be earliest, but they might be best suited and not go through a lot of the tumult that's happening right now. Mm. But on the other hand, like, how do you balance? Like, we're learning about it and we're thinking about it without, like, we've put all of our resources into this thing that, like, nobody knows what's going to happen in the next 12 months.
2: Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, it's a rapidly evolving landscape. Mm-hmm. So it, it is challenging to be building in this space. I think in our case, we just keep bringing ourselves back to the core user problems. And I think that that's where you really get a lot of focus. So for us, our commissions product, it's NFT driven because it's a means for artists to sell digital art to their fans. And how else are you going to provide provenance when it comes to yeah. digital art? right, and enable resales in a really credible way, particularly resales that have an artist's royalty. So the blockchain was just the obvious technology for us to build on here. But, you know, I think for a lot of other projects that are sort of more trading in crypto culturally, which we're not doing, we're like, we're purely using these technologies as a means to an end of you mm-hmm. know, how do we sell digital art in a way that's fair to the artist, and high integrity to the fan. I mean, I think that's, you know, it's just bringing yourself back to like, what are the key user problems that we're trying to solve here?
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because to me, when, I, when you were talking about it, I was thinking like, digital commissions are hard, because it's essentially the only thing that you get in sort of defensibility or provenance is like, you see a lot of people that are just like, well, selling customs, right? And it's like, oh, put my face on like Magneto or something. And then it's like, oh, this is mine because no, who else would want this, right? Like it's a picture of my face on Magneto. Like nobody is looking for that, right? But like, it's much better to do like, oh, I want a custom and I would like, I'll describe the pose or the scene or whatever. But like, also I want it to have value outside of just intrinsic value to me, right? Which is what you could do with hand-drawn, like original art, but that doesn't scale obviously beyond the kind of like comic con scene that you were talking about before or a very expensive i guess shipping process right so that makes sense that it's like a very practical like means to an end and i in that vein i would guess that like that's the method available now but were another method to become available you would look at that too it's more about like how do we guarantee provenance and, make, and digital rights and what's the mechanism available for us to do that?
2: Right. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, it's it's purely a tech stack decision. Yeah, that yeah. a certain corner of the internet has a lot of interest in.
0: <laughs> yeah, but
2: really, like when when you look at it that way, it's just interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious about the publishing pillar. So do you do that under an imprint or do the artists own their own imprint or what does that look like? And do you have any kind of like projects or books coming out that we should look forward to?
2: Yeah. So we're purely a platform. So we don't, Ah. we don't have kind of a publishing imprint. Creators are welcome to use our service to set up their own imprints and publish, you know, either under their name or, you know, a lot of them have a, you know, small press name. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of really exciting things coming down the pike. So we have one artist who I'm particularly excited for joining the service, Joelle Jones. She's Mm -hmm. written on a lot of big Marvel and DC titles, but has an independent property, Lady Killer, that's actually getting adapted into a a movie on Netflix starring Blake Lively. Oh, cool. She's kind of continuing to publish the comic in parallel. And so the next uh, edition of Lady Killer will be on our platform, one of the many awesome comics coming down the pike.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah, so was that handled through your rights thing too or was that kind of already set up or did you, were you involved in that for the adaptation? That was already set up, Okay. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's cool. I saw also you have Jim Mafood on the platform. I have yes. a sketch from Jim in one of my oh, con sketchbooks <laughs> right now. <laughs> I think that one cost me about $5, 10 It was very fast <laughs> at the time. But yeah, it's super cool. Like I was excited to read through the list of, of your creators and who's coming on. But how do you handle that part? Does it word of mouth? Do you do direct outreach? Is there a lot of people coming to you? Or how do you handle artist sign up, I guess?
2: Yeah, so we definitely had a cold start problem there, right? Because brand new platform, yeah. and it's why should anybody <laughs> come come on the World as a total unknown, basically really crutched on a lot of my agent and manager contacts that I you know built a Rolodex of through the course of my work at Gimlet and was able to see the platform with a few of these really big names that have high end representation and are just like sort of big figures in the industry. Like many things, like it's the first one is the hardest. And then from there, you can build out. And obviously, we're a creator platform. So it all comes back to creator service. But we've taken that really, really seriously, especially with these launch creators, because we know that they're our entree into the whole creator community. And all of them have had a really good experience with us, which has generated a lot of referrals and, you know, made building brand in the creator community really easy.
0: Cool. Yeah. And what about from like a resourcing perspective? Like, how has that been for you? Are you, is the team... Still super small? Is hiring difficult, challenging, easy? How have you found that process?
2: Yeah, we are pretty small. We're an 11 person team. We're very efficient. It was really challenging to hire our team. Most of our team was hired Q4 of last year, some in Q1 of this year, um, which was you know, one of the most competitive markets for engineering yeah. talent in history. <laughs> so it's hard to find great people and motivate great people around an exciting mission especially when you're so early stage and there's not a lot that someone can kind of grab onto or see because most of our team was recruited before we had product out into the world. So it was kind of like, are you down with this mission? Do you believe this vision of the world? You know, now that we're launched, it's much easier. And when we're talking to candidates, they can actually see the product and they're like, oh, wow, this is this is really cool. And I get it.
1: Yeah. So what about like the investor side, too? Right. Right. Like what was there friction there in terms of like getting funding? Because it feels like on the one hand, you've got a lot of buzzwords working for you. Creator economy. We're thinking about Web3 and then. Also, you probably have some investors out there that are huge comic book nerds, but others would be like, Tam, Tam, Tam. Like, what? Right. Maybe I'm underestimating the size of the comic universe. (laughs) Fun intended. But like, (laughs) that feels like it could be a point of friction. Like, is this big enough? Could you expand to other things, et cetera?
2: Yeah, that was definitely a question that came up. Comics feel like a niche. Like, you know, is there really enough here for you to build a venture scale business? Our answer there is just, you know, again, comics are the foundation of the. Biggest franchise value in entertainment globally. It's the only American IP that resonates in China and India. You know where there, there are these huge, you know, and growing middle classes that are going to theaters and actually sort of picking up where the DVD market left off. When you look at comics as not just literally comic books sold in stores, but as a foundation for video games, for TV and movies, for art. The TAM is in the tens of billions, mm. if not bigger, depending on how you define it. Our publishing business is really a wedge into a large portion of the entertainment market as such. And yeah, I mean, we did have Web3 working in our favor. Although I would say with Web3, our commission's product is a very narrow offering and we're trying to solve this very specific problem of how do you provenance digital art, yeah. right? And how do you set up you know, a more creator-friendly resale model? For art because we live in a world where comic art is actually selling for record sums at auction. Like just earlier this year, there was a Spider-Man panel that sold for three point seven million dollars at auction. Wow. Yeah, which is which is nuts. You know, and that's it's
1: literally nuts. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's worth it, Jordan. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: It's a beautiful panel. People are starving. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) Spider Man. Yeah. But that's the real art market too, right? I mean, you can't sort of like write that off mm-hmm. as like an NFT bubble. You know, to build a better business structure there for these artists just makes a ton of sense. We don't really go out into the world and pitch ourselves as a Web3 company. We have this one particular Web3 offering. And by the way, that's been good for us with the crash of Web3. <laughs> yeah, right. Because we're like, we've actually always been addressing just this narrow user problem. We're not trading on, on the hype to, you know, balloon our valuation. Yeah.
0: The other thing that comes to mind when you bring that up is there's international sort of like equivalents that you can point to where it's like these companies have been massively successful like webtoon comes to mind right like webtoon has done crazy crazy well based almost entirely on that on the rights licensing i mean that's the key ingredient i think in their success right the rights licensing for the stuff that their creators have brought to the platform and created on the platform so it's not like it's like a totally shot in the dark idea in addition to the translatability of the appeal of the products, like the comics products built in the U.S., right? And then you can also even look at, like, just France. bande Dessinée, they've done great over there, right? Like, what's it called? Asterix and Obelix and Tintin and uh, Lupin? I think Lupin was a comic first, too, right? Like, those are all massive successes and integrated parts of the culture there, right? It's not it's not a question there of, like, oh, is this going to have mass It's Like, of course this has mass appeal. And now, yes, we've solved that here, too, with Marvel. So I think that part seems to me like it would make sense but it, i know you have like alexis ohanian on board and he just genuinely is like a super huge comics nerd right so like did that help you get in the door with with specific investors like him
2: absolutely i mean yeah mm-hmm. alexis is a huge comics fan it's like every day on twitter he's posting some new trading card that he that he picked yeah. up <laughs> so and having an investor that's that passionate about your category and has that kind of a megaphone really goes a long way because a lot of his followers are also comic fans because that's you yeah. know, a lot of the content that he's posting. So when he posts about something that we're doing, we definitely see it in our analytics, which is awesome. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a very global phenomenon. Webtoon has built a really massive business based out of Korea. Manga and anime are actually, you know, really high growth categories in the US. Right. So there's a lot to mine there. Mm -hmm. What do you think
0: going forward is like the biggest thing that you need to kind of like solve or address for like a scale issue? Like because you're kind of a two sided marketplace. Well, I guess one sided, but you depend upon there being an audience for the people who are on your platform for them to feel like they're successful. Right. I guess they bring their own to some extent. But like what is the biggest challenge you think that unlocks the next big tranche of growth for you?
2: Yeah, I think it's about discovery and Mm -hmm. how do we refer audiences across these creators? Because comic fans, like they comic (laughs) hard, you know, they they, they might come in the door through one creator, but they're probably interested in a handful of others on our platform. And so I think once we get discovery really humming, we're going to be in a position where, you know, not only are we able to tool creators up on the monetization side but we're also going to be able to bring them a lot of audience as well. Right.
1: I think like discovery is such a interesting thing. It's like so golden ticket. Yeah. And you'd think it's not just like in comics, right? Like I yesterday, like last night I'm, I'm home alone. My fiance is out of town. So I'm like big chilling. I'm like playing my video games and watching my shows, like all the shit that I can eat at McDonald's, all the shit I can't do when she's home. <laughs> and I, was, I really wanted like crime documentaries. I've seen, most of them, but there's a million every day, but I like wanted the best one. And you go to Google and it's like, here are the 20 that everyone's watched for the right, last right. two years. Right. And then like, you're
0: like, don't you try to
1: do- sh- Google. <laughs> yeah. Or you try to do, like Spotify is really good at discovery, right? Yes, like right. discover weekly and all this stuff, but even Netflix and Hulu and some of these big platforms haven't gotten it right. I don't think there's really a great engine in e-commerce that has truly gotten it right. Where it's like, we understand that you have done this. We understand how you like these various things. Yeah. And you could tell us, I want like space or I want this or whatever and come back with you with something that's really good. And it feels like comics might be an easier way to kind of like start tweaking that algorithm just because you can really start like using categories and usage to kind of determine what's next, right? Or is that like me well, being naive about
0: I had like the opposite, because I was thinking about the music example like you're saying too. And like, there's a few famous like music genome companies that did really well because they like invested early on developing that and took them a long ass time to get it right, right? So that, to me, it was like, maybe comics is more challenging. I'm thinking about my own personal experience and I'm highly particular about creators, especially when it comes to art styles. There's like some people where it's like, never. I do not want to see this person's art at all in a book ever, and if a book has that person's art, I'm gonna consider skipping it wow. this month or whatever. Let's go negative. Well, but and then there are others who I like won't miss. <laughs> I, it doesn't matter what the property is; I'll go and get it. And I won't miss it, right? So it seems so highly individual. Maybe it's not. But I, you're the expert. So what have you found with like comic genome creation, like determining what is the thing that links it and what makes it? Yeah, kind what of associates.
1: Cause it also feels like it would be hard to figure out what it is that you like about something. With a song, it's like three minutes. I listen to it all the way through. I've listened to it multiple times. It's like, okay, well BPM and like voice and like, it's small enough to like kind of put what is like it, but you don't know what I like about a comic book. Or maybe do. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it just feels like it might be harder to. I don't yeah. know.
2: Yeah, I hear yeah, you. you. You talk now. Well, I, 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 I like that idea of like a, like an avoid weekly. Like you know, like I hate your art style. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, look, I think there's a lot of just low hanging fruit here. I mean, mm-hmm. comics people like don't really have that many places to go just to even engage with a density of comics, let alone yeah. like. Finding their next all time favorite. So I think, you know, early on, it's just going to be even creating a community kind of destination where creators and fans can kind of hang out in a Discord together, talk about the titles. You can, you know, be made aware of other independent titles that are publishing because right now, the closest approximation to that is the comic book store, which is awesome. Comic book stores are amazing, but they're closing and we need to adapt to a digital mode of distribution. So I think our hope is that coming to Zestworld will feel like walking down the aisles of independent comic book titles at a comic book store.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was still probably my key discovery moment was doing that. Like, that's where I got my start. And it was probably still the best example of that because there's other there's plenty of discussion about comicsology on the Internet. So we don't need to get too much into that. But it's basically a shit show and no one loves it. <laughs> so, you know, like. It has not managed to replicate that, so that is in itself both low-hanging fruit, like you said, but also a, a considerable challenge, right? And something that you have to really put a lot of design thought into and do a lot of UX work and UI work. So like, how are you doing that? Are you doing a lot of like user polling or what's your kind of ideation process for something like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're very much starting with the creators because mm-hmm. you know our whole thesis is that if we get the creator tooling right, their fans will follow. yeah. And then we can think about interesting ways to build community with those fans. That really goes to discovery as well. So we're not putting a ton of focus at this exact moment into like, what is the best comics genome discovery tool? Right, right, right. Uh, Yeah, the focus is much more on the creator side right now, but we do feel that there's a a ton of potential there for sure over time.
0: Cool. And I just, I need to know, it just popped into my head and now I can't get rid of it, but why did you call it Zest World?
2: Yeah, there's actually a a story here. And (laughs) and I will never judge a startup for having a dumb name ever again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, uh, It is it is a hard process. So I don't know if you ever listened to the startup podcast that Gimlet put out. Oh, Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the company was sort of founded on the podcast. It was very meta. There's an episode of that podcast about branding and naming the company because the podcast actually started coming out before Gimlet was even named as a company. Mm -hmm. It sort of had, had this placeholder name of American Podcasting Corporation, but that wasn't a trademarkable name. They worked with this branding consultant who offered his services for free. He was a really fancy, you know, kind of guy that brands products for like craft, for instance. And he had a short list of names and Gimlet was on it and Zest was actually on it as well. Huh. And so it's actually mentioned on the startup podcast. It always sort of stuck in my brain. I was like always like, oh, that's like kind of a you know, a cool name. Feels like innovative and energetic and bright and citrus. Citrusy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I always always just sort of liked the ring of it. And really, I grew up professionally at Gimlet. You know, I spent six years there. It was my first startup experience was employee number 10 and was there through its rise to 140 person company and the Spotify acquisition and all of it. So liked the idea of, taking that name and having sort of an Easter egg and an homage to Gimlet. Oh, nice. So originally we were founded as Zest Comics, but once we got rolling and the lawyers kind of had a look at it, realized that that name wasn't going to work for us, and so had to modify it and wound up adding in the world, which we like because it speaks to both our ambition, we want to grow a really big kind of multi-format business here, but also we want to do it in this kind of grassroots way with creators and fans, and so world kind of simultaneously feels ambitious but also kind of grassroots and community driven
0: yeah okay cool yeah that's a that's a good way to arrive at it and i i sympathize with you yeah i've definitely tried to come up with names for things and then realized like oh god it's horrible all the names are taken they're all untrademarkable
1: (laughs) yeah it's like the name for this podcast
0: but it's like it's untrademarkable which is works to our benefit in this case but yeah
1: (laughs) i just feel like i would struggle so much emotionally with being like oh this is the name and then finding out it can't be the name, yeah. like going yeah. to it, I would always know in my heart, like, this was plan K <laughs> and I hate that. You know what I mean? Like,
2: uh, well, you, you no. can't look at it that way. You have to look at it as, like, I arrived at plan K and that was always what was meant no. to be, right? That was, I, mean, <laughs> I would never be able to
1: accept that. In my heart, yeah. I would be like, plan K and I hate it. This is but your exposure it to plan it. K.
2: Our
0: worldview, Chris, which is like the reasons that we're not unyielding, yeah, (laughs) not adaptive, pessimistic, yeah. yeah.
2: But you guys look easy to to anger. You're not like techno optimists. Oh Oh, man! I mean, yes.
1: Like I would say, twenty percent optimist that tech changes the world. Yeah. Also, like you have to remember the volume that we see. Like most of it is like what are you doing?
0: Yeah, yeah. And we, not even
1: well, in I mean, a mean way to the founder, just like, what is anybody doing?
0: Well, and that's like the difference. I think I've mentioned it in this podcast before, but like talking to VCs, they're always like, we have the same job. It's just that, we're fundamentally optimists and you're fundamentally pessimists. And I was like, oh, okay. yeah, it That's just skews true. a little different. And also, yeah.
1: you're like, whatever, on your Peloton in the Hamptons, <laughs> taking calls. <laughs> so you calls. Have good to like, you're optimistic. <laughs> yeah, it probably feels really optimistic to you when yeah, your investments yeah. make you a bunch of money, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> well, uh, this- Sidebar, I've been reading, I don't know, have, have either of you read Morgan Housels? The Psychology of Money? Which one? The Psychology of Money, yes. Okay. Yeah, well, there's a whole section in that book on optimism versus pessimism and our sort of innate proclivity towards pessimism because it's adaptive. Right, um, mm, right. It's a survival mechanism.
1: No, you know? and avoid, and all of those things. Yeah, yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, and in a lot of cases, the pessimism isn't warranted. I found that really like an interesting, actually optimistic uh, framing <laughs> of, of of optimism that in a lot of cases we're just. Clouded by our own sort of survival instincts into pessimism, and founders have some weird switch turned off in their brains that allows them to, <laughs> to, yeah. to overcome that. And I guess VCs do too. Yeah. I mean, it, it won't serve
0: them well if, uh, you know, there's a large EMP or a solar flare or something, you know, and then when we go back to, you know, the end times or whatever, and then the survival kicks in, me and Jordan got that unlocked. But Mm-hmm. if things continue as they are which they probably will
1: <laughs> i'm pessimistic don't, don't. enough to have like a full go bag and like a gas mask <laughs> and all kinds of stuff like i'm I'm actually yeah. amped for it i read enough dystopian novels where i'm like this is gonna be cool i'm sick of being on the internet let's go We're
0: forage almost out of time here but i do want to this might be too much pressure to throw at the end but i really want to know do you have any favorite comics or comic <laughs> recommendations for for Uh-oh. folks listening Choose amongst your babies, are you, Sophie. <laughs> yeah, w-
2: wow. Yeah, thanks a lot for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously everything on Zest World. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of pretty much everything that gets published through Image. Mm, so yeah. thinking specifically for this crowd, folks who are interested in tech, there's a really great thriller made in Korea by Jeremy Holt mm. that I read recently, published through Image that I liked a lot. It centers on an AI it's just, uh, it's just really cool. So. Oh yeah, that looks great. Yeah,
0: I'm gonna check that out. Thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate it, and appreciate you
2: joining us too. Yeah, Thank you yeah, so much. Fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. All
0: right, Jordan, that was our conversation with Chris, all about Zest World, which is I kept thinking about zestfully clean. I have to say, I didn't bring it up on the episode. But really.
1: I was thinking a lot you know, about, so, like, like the zest of citrus because yes. I've been cooking a lot with it lately. So I'm doing a I lot of, like, orange Chris and lemon wanted. zests.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So mission accomplished there That's where the flavor comes you. in. Let me tell you. Absolutely. What did you think about our conversation with Chris and about the platform he's building?
1: I mean, like, people on the, who are listening right now know that I just don't care about comics at all. So, like... We'll just continue saying that over and over again. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think the part that I latched onto the most and was most interesting to me was talking about discovery and like how you turn that into an algorithm and how companies have been working on that for a really long time. And just how trying to do that in the comic world slash art world might be a little different. Right. So I thought that part was pretty cool. And I was interested to hear how they're trying to balance the crypto piece and the NFT piece with a platform that could very easily exist without it, in my mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I think that we didn't get too much into this, but I got the sense that the commissions part is probably more so just like a carrot for the creator side of the marketplace. Like they want to attract the creators. Creators are already doing this thing and have a huge challenge when it comes to, like he was talking about provenance. And I get the sense that he doesn't necessarily think NFTs is like the best way to do that, but it's the way that we've come up with to do that now. Right? To say I've created a piece of digital art and it's original and it's yours. Right? So if something better comes along, I get the sense he'll swap that out in the tech stack right away. But I think they need that piece because artists are desperate for a way to be able to sell their digital artwork for prices that they would sell like original artwork Mm -hmm. for
1: without like all the which is like if you look at the. You know, like, yeah.
0: Yeah, because it's like 500 bucks or something. Like, they're really looking for, a, you know, a decent payday on these, which is worth it for the time they put 100%, in. 100%, yeah. Day, so.
1: And I, it's nice to talk to someone who is, like, pretty clearly on the fence about crypto in the tech world, right? Like, yeah. there are a lot of detractors, particularly now as we're in, like, this downturn for crypto. But then there's a, yeah. a lot of, like, Web3 profits out there that are just, like, this is everything. Yeah. So it's like it's cool to yeah. talk to someone who's like, yeah, I'm paying attention, like we're kind of building there, but like also it's not our main thing. Like our main thing is the platform itself and what it does for artists. And I will say that we talked about the name a little bit there at the end. I think like one piece that I wish we talked about more was building the brand of Zestworld because mm-hmm. it does feel like this thing that needs really strong like brand language and design and kind of UX. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I would argue like I brought up DeviantArt and I feel like, well, actually they have the difference where, no, there's not really a difference. That was a brand that built really strong allegiance within its specific community. And yet nobody else kind of outside of that really knows about it at all. But it was like early web this in many ways. Like it was the place where artists went to share their art and get an audience for it. And secure commissions and stuff like that. So I think they do have to do that, but they kind of just need to reach a certain critical mass and then it will kind of take care of itself. Right. Which is, I think, why the emphasis and the focus on big name creators early is a smart one, because if you get the right mix of that group, you essentially get everybody else for free yeah but really cool it's definitely so needed but i think it's like it's i think it's immensely challenging needed
1: is a strong word
0: well it's needed for that community that community is really hard done by in a lot of ways like they put they do so much work and they get so little out of it yeah and it's been that way for forever since time immemorial basically right like creators are getting smarter about securing their rights earlier on to things and you've seen some of the people like um, Mark Miller, who is, you know, behind Kick-Ass and a lot of those other things, like he he retains a lot of his rights and has a big deal with Netflix and everything, right? But like, it took a long time and a lot of pain for people to get there. And that doesn't mean your average, even really top flight artists who are working on Marvel, like have that freedom to do that. So mm-hmm. I wish him all the best. I do think it's a tough, tough hill to climb. So... I'm going to be interested to keep tabs on their progress. But yeah, I think, I mean, he just seems genuinely interested in improving things over there, which is great. He's got a very interesting background, a lot of varied experience and experience specifically in podcasting, which he was nice enough yeah. not to just kind of like jump in and be like, on us, well, you guys don't know what you're doing.
1: <laughs> hey, this is a terrible podcast. Yeah, he didn't say that. Which was super cool. And yeah, he's got like, it feels like his experience is like specifically tailored to what he's doing, which isn't always the case. Sometimes there's like a little bit of a intersection between what someone did and what they want to do. Sometimes it's like way out of left field. It's probably nice as a founder to be like, look at this resume. And like, this all makes sense. Like you shouldn't have any questions about the me part.
0: Of this. no no i mean i think that's why he's been able to do what he's been able to do i think anybody else with this business going around trying to shop it to investors have a real hard time but somebody who is like no i came from this direction and this business side of it you're gonna have a lot of credence if you came and you were like well, look i draw x-men or whatever i want to make it better for us they would be like get out of here you don't know anything about business why are you a comic guard? <laughs> <laughs> but right. yeah, if you're managing like, licensing deals for Spotify and then Gimlet before that, that's pretty cool. So. Totes. All right. Well, thanks very much again for joining us. Do remember to rate and review. Yeah, sure. I'm going to go like invent some original comics IP and then just become incredibly rich off of the movie rights. So have a good one.
1: Okay. Enjoy. Thank you.
0: Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor, Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch managing editor, Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash survey. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.